It is the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's Andy. Let's get right into it. Ohio State men's basketball under Chris Holtman in 2021 is the greatest college basketball team ever in the history of the sport and could also probably beat uh, Jordan's 90s Bulls teams. I'm just saying that, like, I I know that sounds like hyperbole, but you got to understand they beat Iowa at Iowa. And I don't know what other proof you need. They're literally the best team that's ever existed or will ever exist, frankly. And I don't care how basketball evolves. They're the best team that's ever, that they're the, they're the best. The end. Not only end of dubcast, not only beat Iowa in Iowa, but largely held Luca Garza in check. Uh, uh, that, I mean, guy guy, sucks. that guy's who, bad. He's bad. But, He's but it, you know, your, your astute analysis, notwithstanding, <laughs> Right, like people, uh, I think have pretty generally determined this guy is going to be player of the year. Yeah, from every organization or service that shoves out a player of the year. Real quick, real quick, actually, sorry to interrupt, but I just want to say something about Luca Garza, which is really funny to me, is that he's not projected to be a good NBA player, right? Like that's that's pretty obvious. Even like I don't think you have to be some kind of basketball expert to watch his game and go like, okay, that's probably not going to translate super well against like Golden State. Um, but he has completely maxed out the ability meter in college basketball. Like if you were doing a build a player in some like basketball game and you want to just completely dominate something on JV mode, if you were playing like some kind of NCAA basketball game, that Luca Garza would be the player that you create. He's seven feet tall. He's got a, he's got a jumper and he can dominate inside and he goes like, you know, he shoots eight for eight or 10 for 10 every game. He's a ridiculous player. And yet and yet, Zed Key, Kyle Young, EJ Liddell, Holloman check all night. As you put, all right. So continue. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, like that to me was a big deal. That going into that, the question was, okay, what's Ohio State do with Luca Garza? I mean, you you just said, I mean, Zed Key, uh, who we have both expressed no shortage of standum for. Oh yeah, finger guns ablazing, <laughs> held the big man in check, and and you know, to me, it's one of the things I love about Zed he's not afraid of anybody and, no. and that just abundance of energy was apparent all throughout the court, but it wasn't just, it wasn't just set Zed. Uh, they, they had a great plan for how to deal with Garza. And there were times during that game where you thought, man, I wish they would defend some of these the threes that I was jacking up here, but, it, but it didn't matter uh, that Ohio state trusted what it's good at. You knew it was going to be a shootout. I thought it was one of those games that was going to be first team to a hundred wins because yeah. the both teams are really good <laughs> offensively, right? And right. and you you go into that you go into that I would say environment. I mean, it's cooled down a little bit obviously, but, but post COVID <laughs> it's nowhere's like the same environment, but you go on the road into Carver Hawkeye Arena and you you do the deal. Uh I was really impressed particularly cuz I I went into it assuming okay, high state's got a chance to win this game, but but Luke is going to do his thing. Like mm-hmm. that was sort of my, my default setting. Ohio state will figure out the, the way to win, but you can't shut down Garza. They kind of did. And not only that, but I feel like th- they broke him because if you look at the next night, oh, yeah, you know, their next night out, uh, Iowa can't close out versus Indiana. And this ain't Bobby Knight's Indiana. Yeah. Luca Garza, Luca Garza had very, I think he only had like maybe three or four points against Ohio state in the first half. And then he lays a goose egg against freaking Indiana in the first half. Um, yeah, Ohio State, Ohio State uh, I guess, found the Stuxnet virus and injected the Luka Garza and just short-circuited all of his, um, you know, cylinders. I don't know. Look up Stuxnet. Stuxnet. Yeah, that's pretty good. I, I love the reference. Um, but yeah, man, they, they took him mostly out of the game in the first half. He came back and he had an okay second half, but – the really what was really fascinating about this game against Iowa is not necessarily like, I mean, again, we could wax poetic about Zed Key forever, but Zed Key wasn't like playing the entire game. I think Zed only had maybe twelve or fourteen minutes on the court, and granted, fearless minutes. I mean, I, I love him just like literally running backwards to shove his ass right into <laughs> Luca Garza's hip. Like Zed Key is a generous six eight, right? He yeah. probably gives up thirty pounds on Luca Garza four inches and he's like i don't care and then he just runs backwards into him and it wasn't just that though it was the fact that kyle young was really doing a lot of great work inside and and 
I don't know. He's one of those guys when you watch him play, the announcers like to give him lip service and say, oh man, this guy's, you know, he's, he's the toughest working guy on the team and he's the glue that holds everything together. And and usually those kind of platitudes seem really hollow, but with Kyle young, you can, you can tell like when you're watching the game, you're like, man, this guy just makes it work. And when he's on the court, he's able to figure out whatever his assignment is and just execute it incredibly well. It doesn't always show up huge on the stat sheet, but it's really cool to watch. Um, and of course, EJ Liddell, you know, inside outside doing really good stuff. It, you know, they shot really well. They played enough defense. I mean, in Iowa, you know, they're in their Ken Palm has them as the best offensive team in the country. And they, they remain so after that game. Um, so I, you know, it's a great win and it's just really fun to watch. And now they're a top five team, right? I mean, this has been, a, it's been a while since they were a top five team this late in the season. And yet here we are. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. And, and, you know, I've, I've been on the bandwagon for a little while. I was, I was happy to, uh, I was happy to say I never wavered in my Holtman fandom. I know there were people, you know, who, who, uh, either last January or maybe earlier this season were kind of like, look, we got to you know, it's time to see what this, what, what this guy can really do. But all of a sudden you've got a team that's number four in the country, uh, according to the AP top 25, number five in the coaches poll, cause coaches mm-hmm. are dumb. Uh, I, to me, you know, this is a one seed. I think when I looked, uh, Sunday, Lenardi had him still at a two seed, maybe, uh, that was before Alabama cratered. Um, you know, right. to me, this is a one seed team. Are they a final four team? I mean, I, this is a season when, anything can happen, right? Like you look at Gonzaga and Baylor and you say they're the clear number one and number two. And after that, Hey, I like my chances. Mm-hmm. If I'm Chris Holtman, I look here, you know, we'll see, uh, in theory, maybe we'll get to see him against Michigan at, at some point here. It looks like, uh, the Wolverines are going to start athletic activities back up, uh, in, in yeah. this week and in the coming days. So, you know, then, then that'll be a really good barometer. Cause that was, uh, that's a pretty good, Michigan team that uh, Howard's got going up there that that to me you know we keep saying this I feel like every episode well I was coming up that's when we really know well okay they took care of Iowa so do yeah we, I mean they oh, got through. I feel like I mean, we that know was the thing. right that was the thing they got through that part of the schedule that everybody was kind of worried yeah. about and they they were unscathed I mean they it wasn't that they just kind of like okay well we held serve Ohio State did what great teams do which is take down these ranked opponents one after the other and they did it pretty convincingly um and like you said you still have yes you have michigan coming up and that's a big freaking game and you could always potentially drop one against a team like i don't know you know indiana comes up and bites in the ass and you have to play iowa again which god they're gonna be pissed off yeah no kidding <laughs> you so get that mad. one in columbus so that's a nice thing right you get, and then you've you got columbus which is nice yeah so you you can i mean i don't expect them to just win out in the season that's that's not happening but you know, you have the opportunity still to make an impact. I wouldn't project them as a one seed now because you, again, you still have to play Iowa. You still have to play Illinois again. You have to play Michigan. Um, you know, you get two of those three. Okay. You're sitting pretty. There's just, there's so much talent at the very tippy top of college basketball this year. And I really think that what's going to happen is they're going to look at Baylor and Gonzaga, right? The, the committee is going to look at Baylor and Gonzaga and they're okay. This is our gold standard. And then what they'll do is they'll say, what team looks closest to how they're playing at the very end of the season. Right. I don't like, I, I know it's all about resume. Quote unquote. I really think it's going to be like, what have you done for me lately? And who looks the hottest who, who, which team looks like they're just absolutely crazy on fire. Um, you know, in March, when they want to decide who's going to be the other number one teams that, that to me is what I think is going to be the biggest determining factor. Well, let's talk about that because, you know, you mentioned that Iowa was Ken Palm's uh, top offensive team in the country, yeah. Gonzaga Baylor, you know, who's number four. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the Ohio state university Buckeyes. They're number okay. four and Ken Ken Palm adjusted offensive. Uh, now, you know, defense, a little different story. Yeah. Uh, which, which is which, fine. You know, that's one of those things I find interesting because for several years, <laughs> defense has been this program's calling card more right. so than its ability uh, to, to shoot the ball. They're way down the page in adjusted defensive efficiency. Um, where but they're you not have- terrible. I mean, I mean, you think like there's what, hundreds of NBA bas- or excuse me, NCAA basketball teams. Yeah. And they're still they're in the top third, right? Like they're top quarter. They're they're not bad. They're just, you know, not as, as you said, not as dominant as they've been in years past. And that's okay if you can shoot the lights out of the ball consistently. And they've 
done that for three months now, four months. So I don't know. I, I, that doesn't, I don't know if that bothers you. If, if that for like their future prospects, I think they just have to continue to stay hot shooting and getting, you know, Justin Arns, for example, you know, has to like, has to be legitimately like the next three blur, right? That that's, that's the kind of thing that's going to get you super deep into March madness. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really concerned about that as I normally would be. Cause I'm typically a defensive guy over offense, but it looks like the offense is real. It looks like it's something you can rely on, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you look at, uh, I think they're 73rd um, by Kim Palm and, and adjusted defense. Uh, let's see, his tempo rating, 264. So I don't, I don't really understand his tempo and luck rating so much. But, um, you know, their, their strength of schedule, really strong which will mm-hmm. play into their favor, obviously, when it comes time to, to do the seeding. There were some right. interesting comments, you know, when you look at the number of Quadrant 1 teams they've beat, I think they've beaten more teams in, in Quadrant 1 than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, had more teams against, you know, top 25 opponents, more wins over top 25 opponents than anybody. But then again, you look at the number of, of ranked opponents from the Big Ten uh, in the top 25, it's a pretty, you know, things kind of follow that they would have plenty of opportunities against the top 25. I I'm, I'm in with this team though. I think you're right. If, if Arn shoots the way Arn typically shoots, you know, you've got to kind of get around the idea that Dwayne Washington is going to have nights where he can't hit the ocean and nights where he's shooting the lights out. And, but, but generally yeah. speaking, even the nights when he's cold as ice, he generally finds other ways to contribute, um, you, you know, which I think, so you just kind of understand that's part of the deal but this team is deep enough. That's the thing we talked about a couple episodes ago is how deep this team is. And the fact that each of these, the you call them role players, if you want, uh, you've got a team full of role players who are really good at their respective roles mm-hmm. and you have enough of them to be deep enough that it, it doesn't matter. You got a guy that's cold. That's all right. We got somebody else that can, can make it happen. And, and I, I've just been really impressed versatility, um, and they're, they're really pretty efficient too. They're not making yeah. a lot of, we talked, I think a few episodes ago too about shot selection and that continues to be a, a hallmark. They're not just jacking up junk. They're, they're picking the right shots. And this has just been to me, has been a real fun season to watch. Yeah. I mean, it, the depth is really what's, what's interesting to me because really there, <laughs> I think there was something we had in Slack. It was like an athletic article where they're talking about, you know, looking at Ohio state and, uh, opposing coach not an opposing coach was saying something like you know they who's their star like who's their main guy and i mean it's liddell right that's that's yeah. pretty obvious but that it makes a valid point chris holtman can rotate any number of dudes right you can have you you can you can have a a group of people on the floor that does not include liddell or washington and still have a really good core guys on the court right this is like they they can come in shifts and still do a really good job against pretty much anybody. And I was, you know, I'm looking at this stat. It's like, they've got nine dudes who are playing at least 10 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. That's, that's insane. When you look at it compared to past seasons, you know, uh, you know, we, we go all the way back under Thad motto where it's like, okay, well, they got five guys. <laughs> so, yeah, but they're, they're just, they're making sure that everybody's involved and everybody's playing really, really well and playing a lot of minutes and it's just, it's working. It's working out right now. And I don't know that it's one of those things where you just say, okay, well, what if they go cold? Because they have so many different ways to score. You know what I mean? Like this is really an inside outside basketball team that does not just rely on, you know, hot, like shooting. Like it's, it's not a situation where, you know, okay, well, if they don't have a guy who can just bang in the middle, then they're lost or something like that. They, they, they're very creative with how they're finding their shots um and against iowa that's the thing like if there's any team that's going to test that theory can ohio state score in multiple ways it's going to be iowa because they're going to force you they're going to pressure you to continue to play a game that is kind of like they're going to try to take something away and you've got to be able to keep up with their pace and ohio state absolutely did that Mm -hmm. um so i'm excited it's a fun team to watch those last few games of the regular season will be very telling i think where they're going to be showing up in terms of ranking for, you know, March Madness and all that stuff. But right now they're looking pretty good and I think they'll continue to look good. And hopefully, you know, Seth Towns, it's been weird with him because 
you can tell the guy is still, it's hard for him to get back to hundred percent and back to where he wants to be. But when he's on the court and he's feeling good, he is super effective. Yeah. And if he can be like, if he can get that health up and, and, you know, get some more quality minutes, he is going to be really dangerous. Um, in addition to everything else that's going on. So everybody's meshing. Well, really fun team to watch. I, I cannot wait for them to, uh, you know, to prove their medal in the postseason because they were definitely denied that um, last year. So it'll be fun. Um, another, this is interesting. And, and I, <laughs> I don't know how anxious people are. I, I, I feel like I don't have a good gauge on how irritated or anxious Ohio state football fans are about this, but Brian day has got to figure out some stuff with his defensive staff. You know, we, there was some drama about like possibly out Washington getting courted by, you know, Tennessee, which I don't know why the hell anybody would go to Tennessee for any job ever, but that was a scuttlebutt. Um, how are you feeling right now? Are you nervous about uh, Ryan Day and his ability to, to get some coaching on the staff? Especially people are, you know, a lot of consternation about, um, you know, Kerry Combs and his inability apparently to, to coach defensive backs all of a sudden. I don't know. Yeah, it's really funny. On the one hand, you think about when Kerry Combs left Ohio State and went to the NFL, people were like, I feel like devastated. Like he was universally right. beloved as an assistant coach. Now, a lot of that's recruiting, right? Because he's super recruiter. And a lot of that's because he's entertaining on Twitter with his, you know, 120 character hashtags and, and so on. He's just a likable guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then it's funny when you come back it, some of it, I think speaks to how we are as a fan base that it's the, what have you done for me lately? Kind of mentality. Right. So Combs comes back and, and you've got, you know, a suboptimal silver bullet defense this season that, you know, in many ways costs well, uh, your, your, your team a national championship. And so then, well, okay. Like, Can, I want to say something about that though, Andy, I want to ask you a question here. Yeah. Do you think, let's say you had the greatest defensive mind in the history of the universe or whatever, and you've got a really good defensive staff. Do you still think that the personnel that Ohio state had could have been coached up to slow down Alabama's offense in the national championship game? Do you, do you think this is a purely deficiency of coaching? Cause I don't, I, I really think you could have the best coaching in the world. It's not going to stop Devonte Smith from like just tearing the hell out of that, that secondary. Yeah. You look at, I mean, to, to look at the answer to that question, all you have to do is go back and watch Ohio State versus Clemson, right? Yeah. So if you go back and look at that game and say, okay, what was the difference between Ohio State's offense and Clemson's defense? Well, you know, in theory, Brent Venables is the best defensive coordinator in the history of man, right? Yeah. Like that's that was kind of the storyline going into the game. Well, Ohio State figured that out. But, but, uh, but if you look at some of the things we talked about going into that game, we said Ohio State had a decided talent advantage in the trenches. Yeah. You know, Ohio State had a decided advantage on both sides of the ball, frankly, when it comes to line play. But but when you look at the defense, no, Ohio State had the more talented offense and, and was far more talented than Clemson's defense. So then you just flip that around and say, okay, Alabama's offense was extremely talented yeah. and Ohio State's defense maybe didn't have the horses comparatively I, I don't think it was just a coaching scheme thing were there coaching scheme improvements that would have made a difference yeah absolutely i think so I, I i for sure but do i think it's as simple as you know we used to think about this we used to joke uh on the mess when i first joined 11 warriors uh as a, a reader of the site now god 10 years ago there was sort of an ongoing joke and longtime commenters and, and gadflies will catch it but there was sort of an ongoing joke that whenever anything went wrong we just started screaming fire fickle and it became kind of like <laughs> Luke. Rain. and and so the moderators like i talk with a lot of the moderators regularly and like that's still a joke in a lot of ways like an inside joke that something you know isn't going right you just say oh you know hell with it fire fickle and so that's like i think i think the way we operate as a fan base sometimes you want to boil it down to the simplest possible fix and right and you know coming out of the season it was oh it's carry combs just you know carry combs is, is crap get rid of carry combs he's the devil whatever it is and it's frankly not that simple i mean you had you, you needed some personal help you had you lost a boatload of guys to the nfl over the last few years and you know now you're you're seeing what that positive attrition if there is such a thing uh, you know can do to a program so no to, to answer your question I don't, I don't think it's as simple as all that now that's word of the situation with how washington and tennessee coming to court and i think it's really interesting because you know a couple of weeks ago people were a little uh for shimmel that ryan day didn't go out and hire 
you know, Mike Ditka or something to <laughs> call this defense to replace yeah. Greg Madison when Madison retired. People are like, oh my gosh, you know, there's more or less an internal promotion to special teams. And you say, mm -hmm. okay, Combs is going to be our sole defensive coordinator. Well, you know what? Now that move looks maybe pretty smart because Tennessee comes and says, we're going to back up the Brinks truck to bring in Al Washington as defensive coordinator. And now Ohio State's in a position to counter where, you know, if they just say up front, Hey, we're going to give you, <laughs> we'll pay you $1 more. We're going to, yeah, right. we're going to give you a co DC, you know, title. Like if they did all that up front, then they're not in, in a position to, to counter whatever else somebody matches. So, yeah. and you never know with these guys, sometimes is it, is it title? Is it salary? I mean, money's always a part of it, but there are a lot of other things that come into play. Is it, is it title? Is it, you know, your role within the decision-making process, who, who reports to who and all that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I, I think, I think it makes a lot more sense now that they didn't all of a sudden go out and bring in somebody to be code C or whatever with Kerry Combs. Cause now they've got some opportunity to yeah. promote, to elevate, to slap a fancy new title on whatever they want to do with Washington and keep him. And I, and I think they should. I think so too. And he's, you know, he's a great coach. I, I think that, um, you never really know how somebody's going to perform in maybe a graduated position or something like that. But what I will say that I, I thought about that that's maybe a little interesting is that Ryan day is a relatively young coach. Um, he hasn't been a head coach for very long. I mean, if you talk about, we talk about coaching trees and things like that, he, he does not really had time to develop those kind of connections. And it's not, you know, urban Meyer had this huge network of people that he knew and had worked with and all this other stuff where he could kind of just draw from anybody he felt like uh, based off his many years of coaching where he's like, okay, I know this guy, I know this guy. And sometimes that was, that worked out really well. Sometimes it was really stupid. So, but sometimes point, you hired your best man. Yeah. Sometimes they hire the best man at your wedding, regardless of what his actual qualifications are. But um, point is, is that he could draw upon a really wide range of people right and try to coerce them to come to to columbus I, you know ryan day doesn't really have that and i think that hurts him a little bit when you're competing against the likes of like you know nick saban and, and uh you know Dabo and all that to try to get the best coaches but i, I don't know I, I think part of it is finding that talent part of it is maybe trying to create a coaching staff that has less turnover than in the past. I feel like that might be part of it too, honestly. Um, and I really think Ryan day is aware of that, that he doesn't, he doesn't have the ability to just deal with attrition the way that Urban Meyer did. And that's okay. But you've just got to make sure that what you do have is, is solid and quality and is going to get you, you know, a national championship caliber defense. See, and um, I don't know if I entirely agree with that take in the sense that I think if Ryan Day wants to go get insert big name here, I, I think he can because he's calling on behalf of the Ohio State University, which yeah, you know, I can see that. you know, maybe has more money than anybody other than I mean, one what one or two programs compete with Ohio State in in terms of resources, right? I mean, when you really think about it, revenue wise, I think Texas is the only program that maybe consistently draws in more revenue than Ohio State. What, one of the things, too, that I think about in this conversation is our expectations. You know, who are we gauging ourselves against? It's Alabama, right? Sure. And, and rightfully so. I mean, you're not, you're not gauging yourself against other teams in the Big Ten. Uh, you've, you've far surpassed all of the rest of the conference for, you know, a generation now. So that's not your benchmark. Your benchmark is Alabama. Uh, it has been Clemson, although I think, you know, you can make an argument that uh, Ohio State is – obviously right there and and maybe Clemson isn't what it was a couple of years ago we'll see how they how they come back from losing this title this uh, playoff game you know to me Ohio State has been eyes on Alabama as the standard ever since Urban Meyer got here and I think that continues what I find interesting though that kind of is is along your your train of thought with assistant coaches I think there is something to the continuity thing um, I, particularly if you've got a group that has good cohesion and chemistry and they all like working together that, you know, right. that's, that's a real thing. And having that kind of continuity and cohesion, God knows Jim Tressel, you know, went with that for a lot of years where you're kind of like, gosh, why doesn't he replace, you know, insert loyal staffer here. There is something about <laughs> being, you know, loyal to your men yeah. um, as well. So, that, so that's a thing. But I think if he wanted to bring in somebody he could, because it's Ohio state, I think it's, it's the right fit. Uh, I also wonder if budget, 
is is a thing that they're concerned about like right now when you've fired or furloughed a number of staff members in the department due mm-hmm. to covid is it a good time to say hey we're going to bring in this rehabilitated head coach or former nfl position coach and pay them a million bucks like that's right. a, you know, maybe there is some sensitivity to that. Not that I'm going to sacrifice losing football games to that. Yeah. But I, but I mean, I do think it's a reality that the department is, is maybe being mindful of at least in the abstract. I think that's actually probably a really good point. Um, they, they don't want to back up the Brinks truck for a dude right now. I, I think that's absolutely something that they're thinking about and considering and which is fair. You know, they, you looked at their, uh, their fiscal year, what their, you know, 1920 fiscal year, and they look pretty darn good, but this next one's going to be brutal. It's going to be ugly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're acutely aware of that. So that's, I I mean, 40 or $50 million shortfall, something along those lines. I I feel like uh, I've, I've heard tossed around. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely a fair point. And that's something that they can survive. I mean, they'll, they'll be able to figure something out and, you know, I know that Gene Smith has said like, we are not cutting programs, right? Like that's, we are staying where we're at but that means you can't pay out the nose for a new fancy new you know defensive coach um so yeah i, that's mean, they, I mean they will if they have to right like if washington yeah if, if, if washington the, if the goes results, to tennessee need it yeah they, they will uh but in this you know in this situation i think probably it's smart money to say all right let's 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 promote washington if need be or give him some more money if need be whatever that looks like to, to keep him happy mm-hmm. the other thing you know some of the stuff happens behind the scenes is with who they bring in for some of these quality control and and analyst right. type positions so maybe you didn't need a guy like madison who had 100 years experience if you can bring in some others who are going to be behind the scenes helping um yeah. with some of that analysis and quality control those are all things that you know, are part of the calculus. Maybe it doesn't need to be somebody who's out on the road recruiting all the time. Uh, and, and maybe that opens up some opportunities. I've heard some names tossed around there that are kind of interesting. And they're not necessarily names that are going to get fans jacked up about it, but it doesn't matter if it yields a good product on the field. Yeah, right. If they, they're winning games, like who cares? It's, you know, I don't care who the coach is, honestly. Um, so that's interesting. It'll be definitely something to keep an eye on as they go forward. Um, you know, the the recruiting stuff is – pretty well baked in the pie you know what i'm saying like they <laughs> like why is they just so far ahead of everybody else in terms of recruiting I, I think you can play around a little bit with what your staff looks like if you feel the need to because they i mean yes there's always a chance of people getting poached and things like that but Ohio state's been putting in work uh for the next couple years of recruiting and so that's that's maybe something that they can go okay well maybe we don't have to be too nervous about losing one or two guys um let me ask you this, Andy. So we were going to talk about this last week, but this is this is maybe a more interesting week to address this. Ohio State's, you know, their wrestling program has done pretty darn well under Tom Ryan over the years, right? Absolutely. They've 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 been excellent. He's elevated to the position where you're like, oh, okay, this is this is a team that we got to really pay attention to. They're not as hot this year. I think they're not. I think they're right on the outside looking in of the top ten. Um, they go to this try meet. They've got to they got to go up against Iowa and Purdue. Iowa skunks them, but that's completely predictable. They beat Purdue. Where is I guess the larger question that I have, and you can maybe get in the specifics of of what they just did, but the larger question I have for you, Andy, is this Ohio State men's program rebuilding, or are they on kind of a backslide? Yeah, no, definitely not a backslide. And you can, you can say that with certainty based on how they're recruiting. So if you look at the, and and just like, just like football and basketball, uh, everything rises and falls on, on recruiting. Right. So if you look at the classes of, of 21 and 22, both, um, pretty strong guys coming in. And I should say, this is where I'll give a caveat that wrestling recruiting is marginally different from, uh, football and basketball because you have scholarship limitations that you don't have in the other sports so right. if you think about we talk about football and we say okay we have 85 scholarships so you're recruiting 24 25 guys maybe every every year or so you know basketball you have a full roster of scholarships wrestling has 9.9 scholarships for 10 starting positions so you know you have a room that's got 20 or 30 guys in it because you'll have you know a few guys wrestling each weight but you don't have a full complement of athletic scholarships for the 10 guys who are going to wrestle on any given Sunday. So that's, you know, that's a thing that is, is different um, compared to the revenue sports, but, but back to the recruiting. So if you look at the 21 and 22 classes, they're really fantastic. So the class of 21 coming in uh, you'll look Ohio state signed 
um, a couple of really good ones. So you have Patty Gallagher, who is an Ohio uh, product from St. Ed's. He's one of the top two or three guys in the country. He'd probably wrestle, let's say, 165. Uh, he could go down to 157. He's probably 165. Um, and then also in that class, you have a guy named uh, Andre Gonzalez, who was the fourth-ranked 113-pound prospect in the country at the time he committed. So there you've got two guys who were at the top uh, of their weight class or, or than the top two or three of their weight class in the country at the time they committed class of 22 got a, got a big commitment here, actually just, uh, two weeks ago from the number five overall recruit in the class of 22, a kid named Nick Feldman, who is nice. from Malvern prep in Pennsylvania. He's, he's going to be a heavyweight, heavyweight, and he's a big time heavyweight. Uh, he'll be the third commitment of the 22 class. Number seven says shoemate, who is a local product here out of Dublin, and then number 29 uh, overall commitment, Gavin Brown. So they've gotten three top 30 prospects in the class, uh, two of them in the top 10 overall. So, you know, that's that's pretty good. Tom Ryan continues to bring in top top shelf talent. Now to this season, yeah, it's, it's a, a bit of a, what I'll call a gap year. Uh, some of it, it's been really weird due to COVID, right? So you had guys like, um, I'll, I'll refer to Anthony Echemendia, true freshman competing at 141 pounds. Mm -hmm. He wasn't able to get into the room to start training with the team until October, you know, mm -hmm. because of COVID. Um, right. so you're looking at, at guys like that to, um, you know, needed the, the off season, you know, they needed to be in the room in March, April, May, and, and so on and, and training. Now I'll give a lot of the guys credit. I look at captains, uh, like Caleb Romero, Ethan Smith, some of the seasoned veterans, uh, Malik Heinzelman, who's, uh, who's now in his third season as a starter and has, in my mind, been the most improved guy on the team. They spent the summer in the weight room and it shows they were doing their, and when I say the weight room, I mean like on their own because they couldn't get into the Jennings family wrestling facility due to COVID. So they were out right. There. We actually talked to Tom Ryan about that, about That's how right. trying to keep all the guys up and on their schedules and things like that. And you can tell the guys when you, when you watch, like if you look at Romero, so Romero was wrestling with a bad ankle this, this weekend versus Iowa. And he's, he's the number four guy in the country. He's facing the number one guy in the country. And I mean, it came down to the last seconds of the match. And frankly, um, I was number one guy at 174. you know, never scored a takedown in Caleb, um, officials gifted him, uh, a penalty for what I thought was a pretty sketchy grabbing the headgear call. Uh, and then Caleb got dinged for stalling, um, folks now wrestling, has this rule called stalling and it's, it, it can be kind of weird to apply it. I won't say that they applied it incorrectly in this case. Um, but, but the stalling gave him another point. So it ended up being like a three to one finish, but he never scored on Caleb offensively. Um, mm -hmm. so you look and say, here's two guys who are, who are right there. So Ohio state's number four guy in the country is right there with number one. Um, and I think when he's wrestling on two good legs, uh, here, at the big 10 tournament NCAA tournament, he's going to do really well. So you've got a few guys who are, I think right there, Sammy Sasso is number one in the country at 149. It won't surprise me at all to see him win a big 10 and NCAA title this year, but Iowa is going to run away with the national championship. They've got 10 guys who are all ranked in the top eight in the country. And I think like <laughs> four or five who are number one in their respective weight class. They are it's crazy. They're that good. Yeah. Yeah. That's super crazy. And it's, you know, like respect, respect is due. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. They're able to accomplish that and, and do all that. It's just, <laughs> it's, it's wild to see. I mean, I've said this before, right. When you watch um, these dual meets and things like that. And the, the difference between the top two or three guys in the country and even like the six, seven and eight guys, like they're all incredible wrestlers and athletes. That's not to take anything away from the, the guys who might be ranked a little bit lower, but the top two or three in every weight class are world-class wrestlers, right? The entire planet. They are unbelievably good and could go up against pretty much anybody. And it's, it's wild to watch that sometimes. And when you've got a, you know, a school like Iowa, that's got, you know, 10 of those guys, it's just, it's, it's wild. It's, it's really crazy to watch. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing that gets interesting this season, especially is you're dealing in, and this is true. I, sh I should back up and say the thing that's interesting about wrestling in general, but this season, especially is the number of variables, right? Like when we look at, at football or, or even basketball, Sometimes you can just say, find me the best athlete on the field or on the court. And, and mm -hmm. that's the best player. Like the, right. there is a, there is a really high correlation between their athletic gifts 
and, and how good they are at sport. Right. And, and when you get into wrestling, the best athlete on the mat is not always the best wrestler. Now there's a baseline, you know, if you are just not athletic, it doesn't matter how good you are technically, but the strongest guy doesn't always win. The fastest guy doesn't always win. Now, when you have a guy like I'll reference Kyle Snyder as, as sort of the standard for this, who is the strongest and the fastest. Yeah. He go, he's, you know, he's, he's going to win when he's, when he's good at the, you know, the technical side of it as well. Kyle was always tremendously sound technically. Uh, now, you know, what you run into this season is I'll look at a guy like Etchemendi I referred to earlier, true freshman. He is one of the most physically gifted athletes you will ever see. Like you look at this guy and you assume he's going to be a cover model on some fitness magazine when he graduates, because, Mm -hmm. you know, his biceps are bigger than your head. Uh, you know, as a true freshman, he, he, he's got about 3% body fat on him. I mean, the guy is a physical specimen and he is one of the elite wrestlers in the sport from the neutral position on his feet. He can take down just about anybody. He's so fast. He's really good offensively. He is terrible in the bottom position right now because mm. uh, in his native Cuba, they don't do folk style wrestling, which is what we wrestle in high school and college here in the States. They wrestle freestyle, which is what we wrestle at the Olympics and what we wrestle, you know, internationally. So, um, you know, guys like Colin Moore, Miles Martin, Kyle Snyder, they graduate and they leave folk style wrestling and they never again wrestle folk style. They only wrestle freestyle after they get out of college. So you bring in a guy like Etchemendia into the program. He's wrestled basically a year of folk style wrestling in high school because he, he uh, wrestled and won a state championship in Arizona. And, and that's all the more experience he has. So you get him in a bottom position uh, against a Jaden Ironman from Iowa, who has been wrestling folk style more or less his whole life. Yeah. And, Ironman puts him on his back and pins him. And, and mm. so here you have a situation where one of the most athletically gifted humans I've ever seen in the flesh, you know, gets plopped on his back and stuck because the other guy was an extremely good athlete and better technically. Right. So that's, that's one of the things where Ohio state has to keep working is to be better technically on the mat. And that's, it's sort of been a knock on the program for a few years. Some of that is because of the guys they recruit, they recruit these elite level freestyle wrestlers because Ohio state has an incredible Olympic regional training center here. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's a real thing, but, but they've got to get better guys like, uh, now Sammy Sasso good in any position, you know, so you'll look at him, uh, Caleb Romero, pretty good in any position, but you have a few guys who are really good in neutral. Maybe they're okay on top. They're not good on the bottom. I'll look at the Jordan brothers as, as a good example, Rocky Jordan, not good on bottom has to get better on bottom. Uh, and, and that's one of those things where Iowa, those guys are extremely good on the mat. They may not be as good at takedown to takedown, but they will, when they get you on top, they're working for the pen. Do you think that's, do you think that's a product of, of coaching or just like maybe experience? What is the, what, what is the result of that? Yeah. Some of it's experience. Like I say, where you have guys like Etchemendia who, who haven't done folk style. Now, most of your, most of your U S guys, you know, that's all they've done in high school, but in high school, your athleticism and your God given talent, can take you to a state championship in a lot of places. Right. Sure, so yeah. now you're probably not a three or four timer just based on your God given athleticism. You've got to have some skill there too, but I, I'll look at, at, uh, well, I'll, I'll use Rocky Jordan as an example. His dad's maybe the greatest high school wrestling coach, um, you know, of, of his generation, maybe, maybe one of the greatest ever, uh, the Graham wrestling program in St. Paris is, I mean, they've, they've won everything forever. So he's had the best, you know, coaching, uh, throughout his career. Cause his dad's one of the best to ever do it. So, you know, what do you say about that? Well, you know, he's, he's got to get stronger. He's got to get, you know, there are all these things where you start to piece together and say, okay, why isn't he better on bottom? Mm-hmm. Now, to some extent, I think a lot of these guys that Ohio state recruits who are elite level freestyle wrestlers, I mean, almost all of them have some sort of elite level freestyle credential, coming into the program. They've been on a cadet national team or a cadet world team. They've been on a junior national junior world team. They've won Fargo, which is, is the big prestigious, um, high school tournament. So, you know, they've Etchemendi is a good example. He won freestyle and Greco Roman at Fargo the year Ohio state signed him as a recruit. So they've got this elite level. And when you ask them, like if you ask Kyle Snyder, Colin Moore, Miles Martin, do they prefer folk style or freestyle? They won't hesitate. They will say freestyle I mean, almost instantaneously. (laughs) 
And so freestyle does not put the same emphasis on controlling a guy on the mat that folk style does freestyle. It's a lot more, you know, on your feet, scoring takedowns. Um, when you get them on the mat, there's, there's what we call parterre where you're trying to get them turned over and expose what they call exposure. So their shoulders, their back are exposed to the mat Th that gets you points, but it's not, we don't have this thing like riding time is a big thing in folk style wrestling mm -hmm. where you're on top and you've got your guy, uh, on the mat, you know, he's, he's basically belly parallel to the mat and you are controlling him and the clock is ticking. And the more time you accumulate, once you get a certain amount of time, you get a bonus point for that. That's not a thing in folk style or in freestyle wrestling. So a lot of these guys that come into Ohio state with these elite level freestyle credentials and, and elite level freestyle talent, and maybe they're hoping to make a world team or an Olympic team, they wrestle folk style. Cause that's what we wrestle in NCAA, not cause they want to. Right. So I think some of them maybe just don't put the same kind of love into it, if you will, that some of these guys like Iowa just, they man managed to find guys who seem to love turning you ever which way, but loose when it comes to wrestling on the mat. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Pennsylvania guys. So I look at Sammy Sasso, who's really good at that too. You know, he's a Pennsylvania guy. So a lot of Pennsylvania high school kids tend to be really good on the mat. Mm -hmm. So some of it's regional, you know, but, but they all wrestle folk style in high school. So it's uh, what I find interesting is that women's high school wrestling, uh, they wrestle freestyle pretty generally. And for some reason we we're kind of sticking with folk style and there's a lot of closely held passions about folk style versus freestyle in the wrestling. Well, community. cause it's, I mean, it's like an American thing, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We're the only place in the planet that does it pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so I can, I can understand why there might be like some adherence to that. They don't want to give it up and which, you know, I, I can, I can, I can understand. I can understand wanting to keep that up and keep that. It, it's an incredible sport and it has its, I mean, there are definitely things to recommend folk style over freestyle in terms of the discipline required, the technical soundness, mm -hmm. you know, there is something to be said. I mean, the, the, if you get back to what's the point of wrestling in general, you know, the, the idea is that you are controlling your opponent, you are physically right. imposing your will on your opponent and, and folk style, you know, maybe as the, and you could, you could argue whether it's folk style or Greco, that is the best kind of embodiment of that, but we don't put all that much emphasis in Greco either. Freestyle is kind of our, our thing, um, at the elite level. I mean, you, you, we got some really good Greco guys, but if you look at the better teams, um, it's, it's our men's freestyle team. It's our women's freestyle team. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, and that's the, the debate around that and just the, the, the cultural, um, I don't know. Implications are just really fascinating to me. I think that's pretty cool. So hopefully Ohio state, you know, look, they develop, they can get some of these guys, maybe who, like you said, are a little more, you know, they have a little more adherence to the whole, whole folk style thing. And you get more of an Iowa program. I, I just, it, either way, it's still cool to see how much they've improved and, and really just to watch the sport kind of advance in general. Mm -hmm. Um, because it's, you know, even when you have these dominant teams, it's not like they're sitting on their laurels. I mean, they're getting better all the time. And that's that shows up when you get to see the Olympics and, and whatnot. So that's, Here, that's here's fun. what will be really interesting this week. So as as we were uh, getting ready to step in the studio and record this episode, Iowa uh, announced that it was pausing its in-person team Ooh, activities. Okay. So 24 hours after wrestling, Ohio State and Purdue, the Hawkeyes announced they were pausing in-person activities due to COVID-19. So the question will be whether or not any of that splashes over to Ohio State if there's, you know, through the Big Ten's uh, tracing protocols or whatnot. Ohio State has been fortunate so far, knock on wood, that they haven't had uh, anybody have to miss a, a, a duel or, or sidelined here during this COVID-shortened season due to um, COVID testing protocols. But you know, now, now it's a real deal. And, and the heck of it is Friday night, they're expected to wrestle in Ann Arbor versus Michigan. Uh, Michigan is a fantastic team. It's, it would be a pretty tough bout for Ohio state, but Michigan's had its athletic activities paused for a couple weeks. Now their team, team Twitter account, um, you know, announced that, uh, we're back, um, right, right about the time the Iowa news <laughs> broke. So, you know, Michigan may be ready to wrestle and Ohio state, not be able to, who knows, you know, so it's going to be an interesting week watching what the body count looks like, uh, as, as guys go through testing this week. And if any of Iowa's, um, athletes were, were spreading the disease, you, you hope that a tri meet doesn't become a super spreader event. Oh for sure. gosh. Yeah. That'd be terrible. 
um yeah hopefully everybody gets through that you know safe and sane and you know you look at that in other sports as well and that's you know remains the same as well it's it's there's a lot of fun stuff going on in college sports and hopefully they can you know sustain it um so as a reminder the dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11warriors.com drygoods.11warriors.com shirts hats stickers all kinds of great stuff it's gonna be cold outside so i'm just saying hats not a bad idea it's gonna it's gonna start getting a little chilly chilly willy in central ohio i'm excited um let's do a little bit of ask us anything you can send us questions to ask us anything to dubcast at 11 warriors.com or at 11 dubcast on twitter and the question that we have from this week for this week is from our uh our good friend and and frequent contributor st louis wookie who uh says maybe you guys can settle an ongoing debate between my wife and i uh how much is a couple I say it's two to three-ish. She, she says it's two, period. I believe the ultimate answer is it depends on context. A married couple versus a couple of M&Ms. But we leave no room for nuance in this debate and must have an answer. The you fate know, of their marriage. Why you got to put me in the middle of your mar- No, I'm happy to dive into that one. And, <laughs> no, that's why we're here, Andy. And, we're, here's, we're, and here's the thing, Wookie. You ask for it, but I'm going to side with your wife on this one. You think it's two, uh, period. I, it, that's, and for me personally, and maybe it's maybe it's the writer in me coming out, I tend yeah. to like a certain degree of specificity. And so for me, a couple is, is two. Uh, a few would be three or more. So in your example of the M&Ms, if I were going to wretch into the old M&M bowl, I might say I would have a few M&Ms. <laughs> and a few to me would be uh, three or more. We always laugh. We always laugh. Uh, so the stunning Mrs. Vance and I are voracious readers, and one of our favorite authors is the late Sir Terry Pratchett. And, and if you've never read oh, nice. Terry Pratchett's Discworld series, you absolutely should. It's really fantastic. Just great satire of pretty much anything and everything in society. Um, and I think forty some books, but there's a character in in the books, and this. I, I wouldn't really call the disc world. I mean, it's, it's sort of fantasy. I guess it's fantasy is probably the best genre, but it's, it's not like, it's not game of Thrones fantasy. It's not, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not that serious. It's, it's more like humorous fantasy, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's more like uh, uh Douglas Adams, right? A yeah, 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 yeah. Not, that, not that's, quite that's a great that broad. Right, yeah. right, right, right. But that, yeah, that's a good, that's a good analogy. A good example. So there's a character in there um, who's a troll and the trolls in the disc world are not terribly bright. And you learn later on, it's because their brains are made of silicone. So they have to be cold and then, then they get genius level when, but anyway, he uh when he's counting he's learning to count and it's like one too many lots like that's how he learned you know he's learning to count to four it's like one too many lots and so yeah you you might say you were going to have uh a few m&ms in this context but if you're going to say you're going to have a couple of m&ms it's two m&ms my friend yeah i actually agree with that i i i read somewhere or maybe i saw a comment or something where it was like supposedly a, a cincinnati thing or southern ohio thing where a couple can mean any number of things. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Um, but I, I definitely use the, the few thing to like get out of trouble sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) where it's like, how many, you know, how, how many of this, this thing did you forget to do? Right. How many times you forget to do X, Y, or Z? And I'm like, Oh, a few times. Now, now, I don't want to say I, a couple times. I don't want to say a couple times because that's 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 the temptation is always there for me to say a couple and then hope that the person thinks that I meant two. But I'm I have enough linguistic wiggle room to like say oh, but I, I when I say a couple, I mean like five. So <laughs> I don't I, I can't go that far. I can't go that far with it. But I always try to weasel it in there with by saying a few rather than a couple. Wookie, so I'm, I'm gonna ones. now that I've sided with your wife, I'm gonna give you. I'm going to give you a a cogent argument for your position. If okay. you look up the definition of couple, Merriam-Webster has the following to say. One, two persons married, engaged, rather. Okay, we already said that doesn't sure. count. Two, a pair or brace, as in I needed a couple of bookends. All right, that doesn't apply here. Mm. Three, something that joins or links two things together, like I'm coupling, uh, you know, the... the you got to get down to like the fourth yep, definition. No, no, no. With the, the fourth definition, Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> An indefinite small number. All right. So okay. my friend, all you got to do is tell the missus, that according to Merriam-Webster, a couple is an indefinite small number. And there you go. 
All right. Well, if yeah, you want to pull. But Johnny and I agree with your wife. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I I try to say if if you get to the point where like you're pulling out the dictionary to pull your point, (laughs) prove your point. I feel like maybe you've lost the argument, but that's that's just me. (laughs) Um, there, there's actually a really funny clip. This is just a side note. There's a funny clip where uh, on the old Conan show, like when he was still on after David Letterman, I think Jennifer Gardner's on as a guest and she, so Conan uses some word. I can't remember what it, what it is, um, but she corrects him on the improper usage of this word and Conan and, and what she says, like Conan, you went to Harvard. You should know that. And Conan gets so incensed that he actually has somebody find a dictionary, and then he looks it up to prove that he was right. And then he just laughs maniacally into the camera because he's just that petty, which I really appreciate. Um, so this is a good question. This is why I like ask us anything because I need to be able to get this kind of pettiness in my life and this kind of like minutia that we are able to settle and, and help. So hopefully uh, St. Louis Wookiee doesn't, um, you know, refuse to send us questions ever again, now that we have cited definitively with his wife. So now, now I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I have to let me, now that you've taken kind of a random anecdote, I love those. Uh, you were talking about kind of it being a, maybe a Southern Ohio thing or something mm-hmm. along those lines. So the sixth grade, when I was in sixth grade, the uh, lady who ran the cash register in the lunchroom and was kind of designated to keep law and order in the lunchroom at, at Marshall sixth grade building. It's a rough, that's a rough life. Yeah. She, um, she was not one to be trifled with. Let's put it that way. But she would often use the phrase Ewan's. Mm. Ewan's and somebody asked her one day what is a Ewan's and she said well it's like this uh it's three more than (laughs) (laughs) y'all and that has always stuck with me so y'all plus three is Ewan's I love I love the I I really love that kind of regional stuff my grandpa always uh talked about briars and bra hoppers and uh he would delineate between the two like John you're a briar you don't want to be a bra hopper I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and now I can like look that up on the internet now and like say, oh, okay. You know, sometimes we were briars, sometimes we're wrong. Yeah, I mean the the soda pop thing is the ultimate. Like, you know, yeah. where where are you from, right? So that's the you know, geographical, regional dialect and colloquialism. Grandma always said, uh, like on a day like this, uh, when it's super frigid out there, Grandma would always say it was colder than Billy Be Damned, and I, I don't know who Billy Be Damned <laughs> was, but he must have been an SOB because What's she funny? she did not use his name. I don't know where that one came from. I'll have to look really it up someday. Yeah. I enjoy well, that. I love that. That's actually, yeah, yeah that's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so thank you, St. Louis Wookie, for sending that one in. And, and to all those people within the sound of our voices, please continue to send us questions to dubcast, D-U-B-C-A-S-T, at 11warriors.com. Um, that was the dubcast for this week. Good stuff. I'm looking forward to Ohio State kicking more ass on the basketball court and uh you know maybe you know, bill belichick just gets so fed up with the, with the patriots and he decides to join ryan Day. <laughs> yeah you know you throw him you throw him a couple hundred thousand and he's like this is my retirement plan. let's go so we'll see what happens with that uh but until then i'm johnny i'm andy and we'll see you next week